You guys ready to hear the word? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Let's dive in. Uh, We've been in a series on the life of David for the last couple weeks, uh, continuing today and diving into the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. So put your thumb in that part of your Bible. We'll be kind of planted there for most of the day. Uh, But I need to fast forward you, uh, if you've been paying attention the last couple weeks, uh, lots has happened since what Pastor Dan preached last Sunday, and I need to kind of get you up to speed to where 2 Samuel 6 is. So the summary is, these guys that you've been hearing about, Saul and Jonathan, King Saul, Jonathan, they were both killed in a battle with the Philistines. And the leaders of Israel decided that they were going to take the guy that was a fugitive just a couple months before, that they were running around trying to kill him, David, and anoint him as their new king. So David, as king, then captured Jerusalem and claimed it as his city, the city of David. And at that point, he made a huge decision. He determined it was time to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. This is a big deal because the Ark of the Covenant literally symbolized and and carried the presence of God. Wherever it went, God's presence was there. And so with that in mind, I want to take a look at this thing called God's presence. Can we say that together? Ready? God's presence. And ask some questions like, why is it such a big deal to David to go to some other city and go through all this effort as you're going to see to bring God's presence back to Jerusalem. And, and honestly, who cares anyway? What's the big deal? Like, God's presence is God's presence. Does it really matter what city it's in? I mean, what's the big deal? So in order to chip away at the, some of those questions, we need to start with the words of David himself. If you look at Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, David talks about the presence of God. Psalm 16, 11, David says, God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. How many would like to have the fullness of joy in your life? Other translations say it's, it's in your presence, it's fullness of life, the abundance of life. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what's available in the presence of God. How, you know, wouldn't it be nice sometime to know what is the path of my life? God, could you tell me, what am I doing here? Where am I going? That answer is found in the presence of God. And this is what David recognizes is the key to leading his nation, this nation he just inherited as king. It's the presence of God. Now first, we have to wonder, if that's true, if the presence of God is where fullness of life really is, then why is it somewhere else? Why is it not where it should be? And here's the answer. There is always an attack by the enemy to separate God's people, you and me, from God's presence. I'm going to say it again for everyone in the back. There is always an attack on God's people to separate them from God's presence. You need to know that. That is always his plan. And so up to this point, the presence of God had been like kind of an afterthought to Israel. Something just to to put out of the way, right? Just get it over in that other city so as not to be inconvenienced by, we're doing important work over here. We got it. We don't want to be bothered with God's presence. Let's put it over there. God's presence was kind of put to the side in another city instead of being at the center of everything in Jerusalem where it belongs. And so we need to know that the enemy, the devil, wants to steal 
the presence of God from you. That is his goal, to distract you, to offend you, whatever he can do to separate you from God's presence. And David has had enough. He's like, not anymore. I'm not starting as king with that being the case. And so the travel begins. In, in uh, 2 Samuel 6, verse 1, I'll read it to you. I apologize. I didn't get this one little scripture in the notes. So just listen. All the rest will be on the screen. It says, David again brought together all the able young men. That's important. I want you to remember the words young men. He brought all, together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. 30,000 dudes to go get a box that four guys can carry. That's a lot of people. Maybe a little overkill. He and all his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up from there, from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim and the ark, the Lord's presence. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab and so on. In verse 5, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might, with all their might before the Lord. They're celebrating with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, cymbals. Man, they had it all. They put on a huge concert. 30,000 guys just banging away, just playing their heart out with all their might, celebrating this huge. How many know that was loud? That was loud. 30,000 guys just going with all their might. And this gives us an idea of how, uh, how big of a deal God's presence is and how we should treat it. I mean, that was a large production to put on. But as we read next, there's more to it than just having a big party. And they were, man, they were partying. They're so, like the young people say, they're going ham, man. They're going for it. Thanks, Colton. One thing we also need to know is that God's presence is to be treated with the utmost respect and reverence. That's in your notes. Put that down. God's presence is to be treated with the utmost respect and reverence. Here's where I come up with that. Verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, this guy named Uzzah reached out, took a hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Look what happened. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of what? His irreverent act. It's on, it's on screen. Because of what? <laughs> Therefore, look at this. God struck him down and he died. He died right there beside the ark of God. Dang. So, let's just say we learn from this that this is not something to play with. This is not something to be nonchalant about or apathetic. God's presence is to be treated with the utmost respect and reverence. And so really it's way more than a huge concert. It's way more than a party. It still is those things. But how many know when somebody just touches that thing and he dies right there, the fear of God swept through all of Israel. Like, oh my goodness. Whoa. And how many know that's exactly where you want your nation and your leaders to be when you have a new king? You want the fear of God right at the center of that. God's presence is to be treated with the utmost respect 
and reverence. And so they finally get to Jerusalem with the presence of God that is unchanging. And and we see two different responses to his presence in the city. And I want to compare and contrast both of those. David is the first one we're going to look at. And we know David danced. If you've been in church, you've probably heard this story a thousand times. David danced. But let's just read it see what happens. Verse 12. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with what? Rejoicing. He's having a party. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Stop right there. We oftentimes skip that verse to go to the next one. We'll get to the next one. But just take a second to think about this. They're walking, carrying the ark, 30,000 guys, march one, two, three, four, five, six, halt. Get out the bull, slit his throat. Get out the calf, slit his throat. March, one, two, three, four, five, six. Get out the bull, slit its throat. Get out the calf, slit its throat. Mar- How many know this is going to get expensive? Right? That's a lot of beef. That's a lot of bloodshed. You know what? David's like, worth it. I got the presence of God. I love what Colton was talking about, the, the story in the Bible of the alabaster jar so expensive, and she poured it out, and we, she wasted it, like they said. And there's been so many worship songs about that because it's such a beautiful image. You know, it smells good. It's nice. But how about some worship songs, bro, about like, let's get the calf out and let's kill it. And let's get the bull out and slit its throat, right? That's, that's the level of worship that they're at. This is, they're not playing games. You see what I'm saying? There's a trail of dead animals, and that's a long way. I didn't research, so fact check me. Fact check me if you need to. But f- from one city to another, it's probably a, f- a long way. Every six steps, I think it was nine miles. Fact check me. That's a lot of cows. A lot of cows. Okay, verse 14. So David wearing a linen ephod. In other words, his, his tidy whities his undies. He was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Again, man, they're just going for it. They're going all in. Trumpets are loud when you take the mute out, right, Timothy? You can hurt somebody's ears with that thing. They're shouting. This is a huge deal. And what we learn from this response from David is that David valued God's presence more than his dignity. He valued his pre- God's presence over his own dignity. He's in his underwear. I'm sure his hands are bloody. And he had had enough of God's presence being put to the side in his nation. Like, let's just keep it over there. No, no, no. I've had enough of that. He was desperate, desperate to bring it back. And when that finally happened, he didn't care what anybody else thought. He's like, yes, let's party. Let's go. Make it loud. Come on. Can we get more than 30,000? Like he was all in. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ himself taught about years later on the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 3, he said, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. What does that mean when you're poor in spirit? Does that mean that you're poor, you don't have any money? No, it doesn't mean that. Poor in spirit means, spiritually speaking, you have come to the end of your rope. 
you're done. You're just like desperate for God to move on your behalf because you've tried everything and it still fails. And everybody else that tries to say they're going to help you couldn't do it. And you only a miracle could come through and change what needs to be changed. And so blessed are you who are poor in spirit. You're desperate for God for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And that's what David was. He's like, I don't care. I don't care what you think. We need God's presence in the center of this nation. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll spend whatever it takes. Blessed are you when you come into church and worship and you, may, you just don't care if people think that you're weird because you raise your hands. Blessed are you when you, you're so desperate for God that you come forward at, for prayer at the end of service because you don't care if the, people think, oh, something's probably wrong in his life. Guess what? Yeah, there's something wrong. I need Jesus. That's why I came to church. Blessed are you for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And that's what David is experiencing here. People who are desperate for God's presence are not concerned about what other people think. They're blessed. So that's David's response. Let's look at somebody else. This lady named Michal. David danced. Michal criticized. Verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David... Michal, daughter of Saul, the, the king who just died, his daughter, watched from a window, kind of removed, safe place over here. Watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, gross, she what? Despised him in her heart. She despised him. You know what that means? She hated him. Can you imagine that? Somebody's just worshiping. I hate that he's doing that. I hate it. Verse 20. So when David returned home to bless his household, stop right there. Put some context around that. So when David had finished probably one of the best days of his life, when the presence of God came back to Jerusalem, and he was probably also experiencing the most exhausting day of his life. I just led 30,000 dudes from one city to another, carrying this thing, killing animals, praising God with all my might, and shouting, and blasting the trumpet, and we had an awesome time, and I danced, and I'll beat, and I come home to bless my babe. You'll never guess what happened today. It was awesome. And I just want to bless you because God is good and the presence of God is here. And I'm so beat, but oh, it's good to be home. I'm just going to take a nap. Guess who showed up? McCall, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked. In full view of the slave girls of his servants. And any vulgar as any vulgar fellow would. In other words, shame on you. What an embarrassment you are. I'm so embarrassed. You're the king. Give me a break, dude. Knock it off. So, we learn from her response. Then McCall 
value dignity more than God's presence. Complete opposite. David valued God's presence over anything else. She valued dignity, appropriateness over the presence of God. She looked at David and thought to herself something like, I don't like it. I don't like how he worships. I don't like it. Stop acting so crazy, dude. Why are you drawing attention to yourself? I don't like that. He should do it the way I want him to do it. Matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. I'm heading down there. I'm going to knock on it. I'm going to let him know. I got some things to say. Okay. Question. Convicting question. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever felt the same way as McCall? I have. I'll, just, I'll confess to you. I'll be the first. I have felt that way. I've been that guy. He was like, really? Can you calm down over there in the corner? Really? You're really loud over there. I'm trying to have a moment with God here. I've been that way, and I just confess to you, it sucks. That is ugliness. It's a toxicity inside of you. It's, it's a horrible way to live. Speaking from personal experience. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like McCall? Can you relate? reason I bring it up is because there are modern examples of this today, all, really all over the world, and especially in any church that's valuing the worship of God's presence. And I want to give you an example uh, of this thing called the Asbury Revival. Uh, I know it's been mentioned a couple times on the stage over the last couple weeks here, and um, if you don't know what, what it is, um, it's, it's like a really big deal. It's been all over the news. It's all over social media. And basically, it's uh, Asbury University, all these college-age kids who went to a required chapel for, like, school to sing some songs about God and hear a message, and all of a sudden, the presence of God just hit so strong that when it was over and go to, time to go to the next class, nobody left. And they're like, why would we leave this? This is awesome. And so they just kept going. They just Kept it going 24-7, day after day after day. And we have some pictures here. And you can see, I mean, the room's packed, but like there's not a lot of special things going on here as far as like it's an old building. There's not fancy lights and smoke. I mean, if you heard some of the videos, the music's good, but it's not, it's not that good. Uh, really, it's not. It's just incredibly humble. And you see people of all ages praying for each other, just worshiping. Sometimes the, a little dance will break out, but preaching the word. I mean, it's awesome. It's super humble. And the word gets out, and people from all over the nation and the world are like, I need to go to Asbury because the presence of God is so strong there. I just want to be in his presence. I mean, this seems like a really good thing, right? Well, of course... The critics have been lifting their voices. The people like Macaw. And it doesn't surprise me, of course, but it still just breaks my heart when I'm going through Facebook or I'm reading these blogs of people saying things like, here are the five reasons why Asbury is not an actual move of God. Here are the top seven reasons you should not go to Asbury Revival. Here is why everything they're doing is not biblical. 
Here's why we can't put our stamp of approval on it because the true fruit will only come out in about 10 to 15 years from now. And at that point, we'll know if this was a true revival. So until that time, we will not be able to call this an actual revival. It's right. Like, oh, really? Oh, it's just <laughs> makes you want to throw up in your mouth. Here's why this happens. The devil hates worship. That's why much of the attacks that we experience are directed at worship. He hates it. We are glorifying God. He doesn't like God. You look like God. He doesn't like you. When there's this love thing going on, he's like, I hate that. I despise it in my heart. And this is not to point fingers at anyone. This is a spiritual battle. It's not about people. It's simply to make us aware of how the devil will tempt us. It's going to happen. You're going to experience this if you haven't already. He's always trying to get your attention off of God by pointing out things that that maybe you don't like very much or things that offend you. So just, just be aware and don't fall for it. I can tell you with confidence that the one thing that will take you out of God's presence like this is the spirit of offense. I just don't like that. I, I'm offended by whatever. What you, just the list is long. Just beware. Don't fall for that. Instead, I want to give you some tools of things that you can do. So when we come to worship like we have this morning, instead of looking for things to be offended by or things that we could criticize, how about... And we see things like Asbury Revival. How about we celebrate? How about we celebrate that thousands of young people are worshiping God? Uh, that's, an e- that's an easy one. Like, wow, I have been praying most of my adult life for the next generation to catch the fire of God and lead the church when I'm gone. Like, and it's happening. Hallelujah. That is an awesome thing. Let's celebrate. Remember that David, when he went to go get the presence of God, who did he get? Young men. And we see it happening not only in Asbury, but it's been spreading out to other universities. Like, that's awesome. These universities are not known anymore for being like a great, spiritual, healthy place. They're known for like, like things like wokeness and all this craziness. But all of a sudden, they're bowing their knee in the presence of God. That's an easy thing to say, hallelujah to. Thank you, Jesus. Let it come. Let it come in our church, amen? Let it start with our young people. Come on, we just, you may not know, but we just launched a young adult ministry, and there's like five of them or something. But hey, a revival can start here as well. Why don't the five start that? Why don't they seek the Lord and, and inspire us, right? That's what, I just want to celebrate that. I just want to, I want to be a part of it. Whenever I see somebody passionate, passionately worshiping, it inspires me to join in. It just does. If I ever feel a critical spirit, like creeping up in my heart a little bit, you know, saying things like, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if that person's really genuine. Uh, I wish that person would stop getting all the attention. I, I, this is what we have to do, all of us. We have to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Get that out. That is from the enemy. It's not about you. It's not about you. You take those thoughts captive and you replace it with praise. Thank you, God, that young people are worshiping the Lord. Get up on those seats and dance. Make some noise. I don't care if you got a bad voice. Make it louder. Hey. hey. Now, i got to keep going. Considering those critiques of Asbury, how, how would David have responded to those critiques if he was here? 
If he read the blog about the seven reasons why this is not biblical, how would he have responded? Well, I think we have the answer because he said in response to McCall the following words. Verse 21. David said to McCall, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father Saul or anyone from his house, including you, McCall, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. You don't know the burden I have. You're not leading this nation. You're not king. I am. I'm not bragging. I'm telling you it's a heavy burden. Therefore, I will celebrate the Lord, period. I will become even more undignified than this. Matter of fact, I will be humiliated in my own eyes. And these slave girls that you spoke of who are so offended by me dancing in my underwear, listen, I will be held in honor because people respect somebody, a leader who sold out for God's presence. People are actually looking for that if they're honest in their heart, that a leader would actually turn to a higher power and say, God, I need your help. They're going to hold me in honor because of what I'm doing today. And then there's this weird ending. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Where did that come from? We'll talk about it in just a second. Question, church, do we value God's presence as much as David does? Are we in this church so desperate for his presence that we'd be willing to say the things that he did? Would people criticize you? Oh, you lift your hands in church now? You never did that when you were a kid. Really? Oh, you wanted to come and kneel down, attention grabber much? Would you be willing to say what David said in response to those criticisms? I'll be even more humiliated than that. I'll become more undignified. God's presence is so much more important than dignity. So those are the comparisons of two different responses to the presence of God. I want to also look at the the outcomes of each of those responses. One is beneficial, one is consequential. David danced before the Lord with all his might, and he was named by God as a man after God's own heart. How many know you can't really get much higher compliment from God than that? Wouldn't that be awesome if God said to you, Anthony, you're a man after God's own heart. Right? Caleb, you're a man after God's own heart, dude. Oh my gosh, my heart would explode if God said that about me. And not only that, David went on to be one of the most successful and influential kings in all of history. Because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a benefit that I want in my life. Bring it, Lord. Bring it, Lord. I'm desperate for you. McCall was barren. That was the consequence of her choice. Now, let's clarify something. 
And is the Bible saying that if you don't worship like David, that you won't have kids? I don't believe it's saying that. What it is saying is that when you worship like David and you're sold out for God and you're willing to give it all to him, then you will bear spiritual fruit in your life that is beautiful. Things like love and compassion and generosity and grace. And it's just going to flow out of you. And everybody's going to love to be around you. And you're going to love living that life. But if you choose to be like Michal and just be a critical person, then you're not going to bear any good fruit. The fruit that you're going to bear is the fruit of bitterness, the fruit of sourness and, and saltiness. And nobody wants to be around you. And you're going to hate your life. I know. I was like her. It sucks. These are the consequences. One of them's really good. One of them's really bad. So, just like David and McCall, we all have choices that we have to face as well. I want to list some of them out for you today. The first choice is really serious. It's life or death. Because in his presence is fullness of life. But church, we have to choose it. We have to say yes and engage in his presence. It's not something that you can do passively. You have to act on it. So if you, feel, you read the scripture and you're like, dude, I want to go to Asbury. God's presence is there. So I'm going to drive up there and I'm just going to open the door and, and just stand there. I don't feel anything. Everybody else is having a great time, but nothing's happening. You can't be passive about it. You got to engage. You have to choose it. You have to say, God, I want that. I'm here actually to respond to it. I'm here to say, yes, I worship you. I love you, God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's me. I'm desperate for you. Bring your presence back to my capital city in my heart where it belongs. You have to choose it. Think about the, the, the life of Jesus. How many know that Jesus Christ was God made flesh? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He walked the earth, earth, God himself. He shook people's hands and hugged them and looked them in the eye when he talked to them. I mean, it, that's pretty close to as close as you can get to the presence of God, right? And the people had a choice. Some people in Jesus' presence, chose to follow and receive the fullness of life that comes with that, and some others chose to kill him. How can that be so drastically different? It's all about the choice that they made. Look, about, look at the life of Judas. What happened to Judas? Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus 24-7 for three years. Okay, it doesn't get closer than that. That is as close as you can get to the presence of God. And what did Judas do? He betrayed Jesus. What? I thought in his presence was fullness of life. Why would you betray him? And I can, I can just see the thought process, process of Judas very similar to McCall. Of him being like, man, I'm not really liking the direction this whole Jesus thing is going. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable with 
The things, he, like he, he spits in the mud, puts it on a guy's eye, and, he, and then he sees, like, that ah, makes me uncomfortable. Um, okay, I, I've decided I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. Jesus is getting a little off track, so I'm going to go talk to the bosses. I'm going to go talk to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They know what to do. I'll bring my complaint to them. We'll get Jesus back on the right track. I'll feel like I'm more in control. We're good to go. Well, that didn't happen. In fact, Jesus was crucified. And Satan in that moment was like, got him. I got Judas right where I want him. Separating himself from walking away from Jesus. Hey, guys, you agree with me, right? This is uncomfortable. This is weird, right? Right, yeah. Let's go take care of it. I got him. And what happened after that to Judas? Anybody know? Killed himself. Life or death. Satan in that moment was like, mission accomplished. Now, Judas, you're separated from God's presence for eternity. Mission accomplished. Who's next? Life or death, another choice we have. You guys can come up. When we come into worship, we have the choice to give it all or to hold something back. That's the choice we have. And I want to tell you, church, withholding worship does not please God. I'll say it again. Withholding worship doesn't please God. This is where I get this in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. This is one of the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments were literally written on a stone tablet and carried in the Ark of the Covenant with God's presence. Wherever he goes, they went with him. His law is very important to him. And one of the Ten Commandments says this, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am what? A jealous God. Here comes the consequence of choices. I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation, what? Of those who hate me. Like McCall, I despise that. I hate that worship. God's like, don't play with that. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. How many love God in this place today? Come on, a thousand generations. A thousand generations. I can't even do that math of how many people that is. That's legacy that Colton was talking about. That is what is available. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. God is jealous, church. And he wants it all. All of it. There's really no negotiating this point. When he says all, it means all. There's no compromising with God. 
The goal of his relationship with you is to get everything. And when someone like David gets there, God gets really psyched about that. He gets really excited and his heart begins to move on David's behalf like, oh, oh, you got my heart pumping now, David. You know what? Let's get the kingdom of heaven going now. Come on, we're gonna send it down. You think you're leading this nation on your own? I got the kingdom of heaven backing you now, David. Just get ready. We're barely getting started. That's what's available. He wants it all, church. He wants it all, and I'm telling you, there's so much blessing on the other side of this undignified, humiliating praise. There's so much blessing, and it would be heartbreaking to miss it. And so I want to ask everyone to stand right now. I want to pray for you. I want to ask for the presence of God to continue to move. He's already here, amen? Anybody sense his presence in the room? I want to ask you just to lift your hands right now. And before we move on, before anybody else speaks and you listen, it's time for you to speak and step into a behavior of praise. So everybody together, let's just speak out some praises of the Lord. So in his presence is fullness of life and fullness of joy. And it doesn't end when the song ends. It doesn't end when Sunday's over. And so, listen, if you want to stay here, you can Right on. <laughs> like a child. I love that. If you need to go, you can. It's okay. But uh, Colton has agreed. Uh, we're just going to honor the presence of God. They're just going to keep going right now until the next service starts. We're just going to, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going until 11. And we'll start again. So if you want to come forward and, and kneel down in God's presence, you can. If you want to hang for the next service. And do it again, you can. Otherwise, God bless you. Go out in the presence of God. Love you guys. Give God one more praise today. We love you, Jesus.